Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Helen Joyce, who joins me for a second time. Helen Joyce is an editor at The Economist, and she's also been working on a book about transgender ideology and attacking it or assessing it, let's say, from a logical perspective and kind of laying out how it works and how it might or might not make sense. In this conversation, that's kind of what we delve into. We also talk about the status of woman as a woman and what does that really mean and how do we go about discussing that? Um, Because there is a reality to that and a reality that needs to be honored and better understood. So without further ado, here is Helen Joyce. So for years, uh, trans people have talked about the Matrix as a trans allegory. This isn't a new thing. This isn't something that was retrofitted to it by the director's I mean, you can go through it and you can really see it clearly. I don't know how well you know the first Matrix film. Have you watched it lots or not at all or once uh, or what? Plenty, I would say. All right, same here. So there's two things in it that can really show you that they meant this. So I don't know if you know, but Switch, the character who dresses in white, was meant to be played by two by two actors, one male and one female. And the idea was that Switch was a glitch. Like the Matrix projected the wrong sex body for this person. Okay. So all switches life. I think I think switches a man in the Matrix and a woman the other uh, in um, the the real world. But I might have that the wrong way around. So there were to be two different actors, and the studio refused that. They thought it was too edgy, but they didn't change the um, the Wachowskis didn't change the script at all. Like not even one tiny bit. They just got one person to play it. And there's two bits where you can see. There's two little inexplicable things. One of them is, I don't know if you remember the first time that um, Neo goes into the Matrix with Switch and he does a double take. He looks at her and he goes, and then it's never explained. But the point was he was meant to be looking at uh, a different person, but in the same clothes. That's why Switch wears white. It's a visual cue that it's the same person. Everyone else is wearing black. Okay. I know. And then the other one is when Switch dies. Switch dies inside the Matrix and her final words are not like this, not like this. Oh, okay. So, yeah, in in the wrong body. So it's about dead naming. Oh, okay. And then there's a bunch of other little things. They're not that little, I suppose. I mean, if you ever wondered, like, why is the book, why is the movie so obsessed with Neo claiming his name? Like, he fights back against Smith. So the agents are the forces of transphobia or they're, you know, People like me, I don't know, people who, you know, TERFs, maybe they're TERFs, but I think they're actually the, the, the forces of transphobia. And when, mm-hmm. um, when Neo fights back against uh, Agent Smith, the, 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 the moment when he starts to back, fight back is when he says, my name is Neo. And Agent Smith keeps calling him, you know, Mr. Anderson, Mr. Anderson. He's dead naming him the whole time. And then Neo claims his identity and that gives him strength. So that's that idea, you know. And then uh, you can go through it like there's a bunch of other ones. And um, what's his name who betrays them? And the name has just slipped my mind. The guy who sells them out, he's a detransitioner. Oh. He, uh, he wishes, yeah, well, he, he wishes he hadn't, you see. He wishes he wishes that he hadn't transitioned. And um, he blames other people for, you know, misleading him into it. He made the mistake, but he blames other people for it. So that's detransitioners as you see them from inside, trans, um, you know, 
uh, ideology. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So the matrix is cis-normativity, okay? That's okay. what everybody's living in. They're all cis-normativity. And when you take the, the red pill, estrogen, it even was a red pill at the time, you'd go back to your true self and you see you're reborn. Like, if you think about the film, think about what happens to Neo. He finds himself in a body that he's never understood or never claimed. And he has this literal rebirth. Like, he comes out slimy and gasping and, you know, has never used this body, but it's now his real body. So, yeah, no, it absolutely is a trans allegory. Okay. And but it's beyond very, that, but... Oh, yeah, it's other things too. But, I mean, it was... It, it, you know, you can go through and you can say many, many things about it are useful ways of explaining okay. trans ideology. Uh, and then, you know, then it all goes completely haywire, in my opinion, in, in the second and third films, like, you know, really off the rails. But um, okay, I, I watched them again. Can you do you think that the second and third were tacked on or were they a fulfillment of kind of the allegory or an attempt to fulfill it? Or I, I mean, I watched them trying to work out what I could say about them. And in the end, I just okay. said, you know, I'm getting nowhere with these. So there's some sort of attempt, attempt at synthesis there, like they're dogs dinners of films. So. It's harder to say what they're trying to get across because I have no idea what they're trying to get across. I, I, I lose both interest and, you know, complete track of what's going on watching them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah. the first one is a great film. And, yeah, uh, yeah but you can read it really quite detailedly as a trans allegory. So if you read that as a trans allegory and uh, you read it critically, um, what does that tell you about the ideology that you think is faulty? Well, what you're meant to understand is that the entire matrix is false. It's fake. It's a, it, it is a construct. Like, it's literally a computer program that's playing in people's brains. And their real bodies are off somewhere else, and most people never find their real bodies, but some people do, and they're the ones who transition. You know, it, it, it breaks down a little bit. I don't think everyone is intended to transition, but everyone is meant to find their real identity, I guess. And so if you look at the film, you make that work by the script and by the direct the directing so you know you, you can show which is real and which is fake by showing them uploading things into their brains or showing them plug things into their head or whatever you know we don't have that in the real world we don't have a way of showing that this cis normative world is fake but the world of identities is real it's like when you're on the nebuchadnezzar you're in the you're in the real world the world where identities dwell okay yeah. and that and so that's the, that's the world where i you know where you know, what are we to do? Like have pronoun badges, the pronoun badges, the sort of, you know, the trans, the trans version of, you know, plugging yourself in to go back into the matrix. Like it's the, it's the thing that reveals the, the trueness of your identity. And it's quite rubbish compared with what a film might make can do with all special effects and the script and everything. So a lot of, a lot of what happens in trans um, ideology or gender identity ideology is an attempt to make the real world seem fake and the world of identities seem real. Which in a film like The Matrix, you just do by writing the script. Yeah. And so that's this whole, you know, AFAB, like assigned female at birth, or, you know, wearing pronoun badges, or putting on this this belief that you just genuinely don't know what sex somebody is until they say. You know, all these things are, to, and uh, th things like saying, you know, biological sex is a spectrum, or, you know, belly aching on about clownfish or something like that all these things yeah. are casting doubt on the reality of this world yeah and then at the same time you have to make identities super real like really concrete and meaningful and 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 that's i think that's been mm. helpful for me to look at the matrix and see well okay you know which of those worlds is which and how do they make it clear that the nebuchadnezzar is real and the matrix is not and and, yeah. and then to remember that for in for trans ideologues 
this is the matrix. This is the non-real world. The world where the identities are is the real world. Yeah. So it seems to me to be the case that the way in which um, this and many other uh, kind of uh, belief systems operate is in the internet, or it's in the realm of language. And so what it seems to me to be is that we ha- we have built a world of language out of the real world. We've we've concretely stepped out of the real world and built our society out of a feedback loop with the material reality. And there are different ways to manipulate the material reality and to manipulate other people by, you know, playing with language, playing with culture, and then, you know, kind of constructing something that, you know, you can say that power structures exist by people manipulating the ways in which we consider what is real, what is valuable with regards to the real world. with trans ideology, and correct me if there's holes in this, it seems like that they want to deny the real world and just exist in the world of culture that we've built out of the real world. Um, but wh- where, what makes it concrete? What makes their experience and their ideology concrete? With regards to sex differences, we can root it in the body. We can default back into a material reality. They can't default back into a material reality. So what do they have to make it substantial? What is that which it is created out of and that it relies upon? It just isn't. That's the thing. It's. Um, I mean, Judith Butler talks about, I think, I think it's gender, she says, is um, an imitation for which there is no original. And... You know, okay. so it's elephants all the way down. It's identities all the way down. But you, okay. you, most people don't realise that. So most, most people who aren't steeped in this sort of way of talking think that when you say a trans woman, you, you know you mean a man, really, but you mean a man who feels in some nebulous way very like a woman or wants to present as a woman or something. But, but anyway, you know you started with what you understood men and women to be. Yeah. But, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've made all of that dissolve and you're just in a world of pure identities, you're in a world of sexed souls, really... But, I mean, how did you know what the sexes were in the first place? Yeah. You know, yeah. and the answer is you don't. You really don't. Um, you are in the world where you're in the Nebuchadnezzar, but we can't get there. So, but that's why it's also ferocious, you know. You have to you have to insist, you have to force people to say it because they're not finding it very easy. Yeah. It's you know, built out of assertions. Natural. And assertions yeah. are proven by the assertion, not by any other verifiable yeah claim. and that, that's why it often sounds so cultish you know like the whole trans women are women trans men are men non-binary people are valid say it with me clappy hands sort of stuff yeah. you know it's yeah. it's just um it's it's all this attempt to make something real that isn't real and at the same time you're doing the other thing which is making the real things not real and yeah. it's just it's amazing how far you can get with language really like if you if you talk about um you know, say sports or something. I mean, I've seen people say, well, of course they belong in women's sports because they're women. But I mean, that's just a linguistic thing. That's just words, you know. But you're not allowed to say, well, they're male and it's female sports because we're not allowed to say male and female anymore, apparently. Like, that's transphobic. Mm. Or now we're meant to call trans women female as well, you know. So, you know, the, the assertions just follow what they have to to make the result you want, which is that anyone can claim any identity they like, and that claim is all there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, there it, it was, messes with your head. Yeah, there was a interesting development in one of the lawsuits around uh, sports, and I think it was in one of the Carolinas. 
I might be uh, recalling incorrectly. But the judge said, the judge made a, a ruling that they cannot, the, the, the people were suing to get males out of the sports. And the judge said that you can't call the males male. You can't male. do that. That's right. So the yeah. judge ruled in favor, and he based that ruling on fairness or, or some sort of claim of uh, of tolerance. It would be in it would be intolerant to not go along with their you know, yeah. It was it was hurtful, identity. and the thing is, it, this is because it's linguistic. Like, it's not like we can find a sort of a stopping point and say, all right, trans women are women, but they're not female. So when we're talking about identities, we can use the words woman and man. But when we're talking about sex, we can use the words male and female. I mean, about two years ago, it looked like that might be somewhere you could stop. But that's no good. They don't want there to be any distinction that you can make. They don't want there to be female men and male men. They just want there to be men and women. And that's it. And you're not allowed to say anything else. So they have okay. to chase you down the words you use, you know. So if you say, all right, I'm just going to say male and female. Well, then suddenly trans female, it means the same as trans woman. Whereas actually it means the opposite. A trans female is a trans man, you know? Yeah. But, but, but um, you know, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, every word that you try to use to state material reality, that word then gets perverted. Yeah. But it, it seems to... Uh, it seems like they have inroads because they're you know, preying upon uh, compassion or tolerance yeah. of some sort. So it seems that that might be the anchor of reality. That what we're trying to do is lift up the marginalized. What what we're we're trying to create inroads for those who have the most distress to be you know liberated from their oppression in a way. That that seems to be. I, I don't know. I don't know what was behind the judge on this one. I really don't. He didn't seem that bleeding hearty he just thought that this was bigotry he really felt it was bigoted to tell somebody that they were male when they didn't want that fact yeah but it's not bigoted to force females to uh, yeah you notice the asymmetry there don't you yeah um there's a surprising number of people who just don't either see the woman on the field as we talked about the last time i talked to you or who just don't actually really see the problem you know it's like oh there's only a few of them or you know well they wouldn't do it unless they really meant it or something you know and why would you be mean i mean i've had conversations with trans people that i have thought were pretty sensible and that i've been very impressed by and then they still think it's very mean if you just bluntly say but a trans woman is male yeah and I don't mean about the person I'm talking to. I'm not trying to be mean to the person I'm talking to. I'm not trying to, you know, trigger somebody's dysphoria here. It's just there. sometimes there comes a bedrock of of reality, and that is in things like sports, you know. Yeah. You just can't make your argument unless you say this person is male. That's why they're not in the female sports, because they're male. There's no other reason. Yeah. If you can't say that, then you can't make the argument. And yet there are people who just think that's a bit mean. And I mean, people I thought quite highly of otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it comes down to propriety, which again is just a cultural kind of uh, matrix. Well, women are me- women are meant to be more proper, you know. Like it's it's much meaner when a woman is mean than when a man is mean. I mean, you don't tend to say, you know, be, that man is very mean. You know, women are mean. Women withhold oh, what they should okay. give. You know, yeah. There is an asymmetry in the ways in which females are treated in this, uh, like the turf as a slur or being used yeah. as a slur. Uh, it stings women more, or it's it's employed more against females. Well, a man can't be a turf, of course, because a man can't be a radical feminist. You know, radical feminism is a is a women's liberation movement. It's not a it's not a movement about equality. It's not a movement. You can be a supporter only if you're a male. It is a, mm-hmm. you know. It is a liberation movement for females, and only females can be. 
part of that liberation movement. Anyone else can just support them. So actually, TERFs are only female, but it's interesting that there is no equivalent slur for men. And so that's another thing that I've discovered when I was doing the book, which was um, how queer theory, or if you go back further, you know, postmodernism and deconstructionism, how they treat what they call binaries. So a binary isn't just two opposed terms, it's two opposed terms that have a hierarchy inbuilt. Mm-hmm. So if you think of order and chaos, like order is good and chaos is bad, or light and dark, or night and day, or man and woman, or, you know, emotional and reason. Yeah, yeah, these are these are in binaries. And it is a central task of postmodernism to deconstruct binaries. That's what deconstructionism is. But the way that you do that is by smashing open the subordinate member of the binary okay. in order that the superior one can fit into it. Okay. So, could you explain that in terms of yeah, male sure. and female? Well, I mean, I'll tell you, the, one, the first one that I read was Jacques Derrida talking about how um, speech is a form of writing. Speech is really quite obviously not a form of writing, so we shouldn't even be starting having this discussion. But anyway, in his opinion, speech writing was a binary and that we um, we privileged speech over writing. So then he did this messy business of redefining writing to be any system of traces. doesn't matter what they mean, but anyway. And then by this definition, speech is a form of writing. So he just redefi- redefined the inferior thing, writing, so that it automatically included speech. I mean, it's just, I cannot express how irritating I find this whole thing. Okay, there, there's a... I, uh, I've been following uh, another YouTuber, and he takes on feminist standpoint theory with regards to the ways in which um, certain forms of feminism have tried to uh, subordinate science to their claims by saying that that males believe they're dominant and females are subordinate, but the female as subordinate is actually dominant because she not only knows her position, but she knows the male's position because she has to, because she's living in a male world. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Are you talking about something different? Because it seems like the, by making yeah, it is, the it is subordinate... Different. This, is, um, this, is, this is more that you, you say that anybody can be a female. Uh, and that's meant to be liberation. So, I mean, Andrea Long Chu's book, Females of Concern, does precisely this. It creates this quite revolting definition. Have you read this? Uh, this definition of female. A female is anyone who subordinates their desires to the desires of others. Yeah. And then the quintessential element of female, and this is not me writing, you know, this is Andrea Longchu, is, um, how does it go? Yeah, the eyes. Something, gaping, the blank, blank eyes. The, the expectant asshole on blank, blank eyes. That's the quintessential nature of female. You will notice that this is something that males can be, can be as well. So you redefine the word female to be something that actually males can be. And now you have deconstructed the binary. But the point, I mean, this absolute load of steaming crap, the point of me saying it is to get to the place where you say it's only female that has to be deconstructed. It's only the subordinate one that has to be blown open. And that's why it's the definition of woman that's under attack and not the definition of man. You don't have to attack the the dominant element of a binary. Okay. And there's lo- they, they do this with loads of them, but they mostly do it with man-woman. And that's why there's all these ridiculous definitions like, you know, woman is limitless, formless, woman is a void, woman is everything, woman is intergenerational, woman is, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, just, you know, limitless, so formless, it, void is a classic one. Yeah, it, it seems to be the case that it, while it is completely uh, denigrating the female, it also is, it, it's this clowing form of worship or, or trying to 
attain something that that is unattainable in the woman. It, it, there's like this element of envy or jealousy uh, that that you see in the movement of uh, they they want to to claim the woman because she is beyond them in some form. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's a sort of a you know destroy the village to save it type of of redefinition of woman you know it's meant to be liberating to say a woman yeah. can be anything anyone could be a woman i mean they are reverse statements but um you know they, they kind of get elided so woman is this you know vast limitless formless thing so anyone can now be a woman and then they sort of miss the bit where now a woman isn't anything yeah so you want to be a woman and the thing you want to be is the thing that you meant before you went and redefined the word woman so you redefine the word woman in order that you can be that thing and now it's not that thing anymore, you know, it's, it's so, so it's an endless chase. It's gone. Yes. And so then you have to go after the word female and then you have to, you know, it, it's endless. I mean, it cannot be that you can define the word female in humans in, or indeed anything in a way that includes males. These, these things are mutually exclusive. Okay. So if you try, you have to do something with the word female that makes it not worth identifying into anymore. Yeah. But that seems to be the whole trick, you know, that you ruin the definition and then you get angry, really, because you've ruined the definition, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like the non-binary thing. It it it, it oh, leads to utter yeah. frustration because like the, there's that weird clip that came around was circulating the other day where some male-bodied person said that they're non-binary and they're seventy percent female because they feel seventy percent woman in a way. But you don't have that anymore. Like, what are you actually talking about? It seems like an exercise in some sort of like psychological. You know, somebody's really frustrated with their own experience and so trying to project it onto the world. And then there's a lot of catering to that because it's cute or sexy or fun. I think it's just once you start, you know, once you start down this, uh, you know, to be a terrible form of bigotry not to let a man call himself a woman, you know, you're, you're lost. You've moved away from material reality, and where can you stop then? You know. Yeah. Okay. I discovered, by the way, that this this business of sex not being binary has gone on for a very long time. So hmm. um, I, I went back and looked at the early transsexuals, people like um, the Danish Girl, you know, the film The Danish Girl in 2015 with Eddie Redmayne in it. Uh, that's the story of um, a bloke called Andreas Wegener who um, had one of the very first sex change operations, like one of the first two or three, uh, and lived as a woman called Lily Elba for 14 months before dying. And the doctor that Andreas Wegener went to see was called Magnus Hirschfeld, and he was um, he, he fortunately died before the Nazis killed him, basically. I mean, I doubt he'd have wanted to live after mm. he died, you know. But um, they burnt down his institution in Berlin and... Anyway, he he said that a male and male to female was a spectrum. They were endpoints of a spectrum, and he in words that are so modern, you know, described okay. that you know, yeah. uh, he, his belief about the main people who were in the middle were gay people. Like he was actually mostly a gay rights activist, but I mean they called them psychic hermaphrodites. That's what you were, and you were gay. Oh, weird. Uh, huh. I know, I know. Yeah. So so the arguments about sex spectrum were used first for gay people. They were neither male nor female. Yeah. And he defined it on you know a mixture of what you liked to wear, who you went to want to get to bed with, your body parts. Also, nobody was one hundred percent male or female was what he said. And this came back with Christine Jorgensen, the first American to go to actually again Denmark to sex change in 1956 or something like that again you know spent the rest of her life post-transition telling journalists that nobody could be more than 80 percent male or female oh okay. I mean, huh. yeah so so okay. they've been doing this for a long time this keeps coming back the sex spectrum idea so it it seems like there is a uh, small number of people who have a lot of distress about their sex 
bodies, and they also don't plug into the world in a way that other people do. It seems like there is a standard of behavior that largely follows along with uh, the sex of the person. And I understand the gender critical project or the feminist project of trying to limit the stereotypical expectations so that people don't feel distressed and aren't uh, oppressed based on their sex or based on their expression of gender, but it still seems to be the case that there is such a thing as gendered behaviors that are rooted in or that emerge from sex. What do you think about that? Is is there... Uh, there I mean, there are. There are, and it would be astonishing if there weren't. I mean, it would be absolutely, absolutely astonishing if we were pretty much the only animal that had no behavioral differences okay. between males and females. And when you think that we're actually the animal, as far as I know, we're the animal that has the most burdensome pregnancy, childbirth, and early caring for a child of any animal. Yeah. It would be astonishing if there weren't any differences between males and females. It's actually quite astonishing how limited those differences are. So you might think to yourself, oh, well, you know, there's, um, you know, there could be males who have more feminine brains or females who have more masculine brains. And there kind of might be, except that if you look at the largest number of male transsexual people, um, they're actually not at all feminine. They're extremely masculine, actually. Now, that was at Ray Blanchard's um, realisation when he looked at the people who came to his gender clinic. Some of them were, you know, really very effeminate men who were gay, who had been super effeminate since they were little. You could so understand how that person had basically concluded that they were effectively a woman in a man's body. And, um, you know, it seemed natural in a homophobic time to say, oh, all right, you know, we'll let this person transition and we make ourselves a straight woman out of this gay man, you know. But actually, yeah. a lot of them who came in, they were in their 40s, they were married, they'd been engineers or Marines or computer scientists, you know, they had kids, they were not at all feminine. They were erotic cross-dressers. Mm -hmm. And I just don't see that erotic cross-dressing has anything to do with being feminine, it's actually a very masculine thing to do. Women yeah. don't do erotic cross-dressing, basically. You know, about 3% of men do. So it's, it's a variant masculine sexuality, erotic cross-dressing. Okay. And, uh, and so that's, that's why I don't believe that it's, you know, um, oh, there are people who need to do this to fit in. I mean, most of the people who do this to fit in are gay. Uh, and that's true for both the males and females. Like, when they looked at the women who came into the clinic in Toronto, where Ray Blanchard worked, uh, most of them were just lesbian. Um, they were, you know, they were lesbians who were like hyper butch and just found life just much easier living as a man. Uh, and you didn't get, there were no, there was no equivalent. Autogynophilia is the word for the the male ones. You know, there was no autoandrophilia. Okay. Uh, like, you know, among women. So yeah, so I, I don't think you can say it's because some people are super feminine, but they were born as men, and it's easier for them to fit in. No, they, they it's an erotic thing for okay. those ones. So it uh, that brings up. The emergent phenomena that trans uh, trans ideology and not all trans people, but trans ideology in aggregate, you see a lot of uh, hyper concentration of the genders and what it is to be gendered, and you know the, this this very masculine concretization of the feminine, and then appropriation, yeah. and then claiming of it in a very masculine way. Um, well, because it's very erotic. You know, when people have an erotic fixation, they'll do almost anything. I, I believe so, one of the Wachowskis uh, said that it was porn that that unlocked his uh, desire to become transsexual. I mean, Andrea Long Andrea Long Chu said that if one of the Wachowskis didn't, um, you know, sissy porn did make me trans has written that. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know whether it's true. Like, it, you know, one of the difficulties in all of these things is you don't really have access to your own motivations in that way. 
Huh. Like you can think that it could. No, we, no, nobody does. I mean, one of the difficulties that anyone who's trying to say like what makes a person anything, not just trans, anything, you know, they've told themselves the story before they tell you. They've told themselves the stories many times because they've been thinking about this too. Nothing at all about being honest or dishonest. I'm not saying that. So that's why you like to do prospective studies when you can. And, you know, there have been prospective studies. Could you uh, define prospective study? So prospective study is you find people who are at risk, like who might have whatever it is, and you follow them and you see what happens. And retrospective is when you find people who have whatever it is and then you try and work backwards. But then, unfortunately, they're going to tell you their version of their life story. They can't help it. Everybody does. They'll misremember things. They'll have, you know, remembered things as hyper important. Um, you know, they'll have their own story. So every person who has anything as unusual as being trans will tell you why they're trans. But I mean, it may or may not be right. You know, they've been thinking about this for years. So, well, okay. so yeah, it's better to. It's, it's better, better to start with people who might be trans and follow them on. Yeah. But I mean, the trouble is that, that that's everybody, really, if you're looking at the hmm. the males who might in their 40s. You know, and, and they're very rare as well. So are you really going to do this? Find 100,000 people and follow them and see which ones turn out to be autogynophiliac. But they have done it with the hyper-feminine little boys. I mean, Richard Green was the first person to do that. Doctor in, in LA in the 1960s started a pro- prospective study. He got people to bring him in, little boys who were extremely feminine, insisted on wearing girls' clothes, playing with dolls, said they were girls, said they hated their penises, said they wanted to grow up to be girls, wanted to have babies. You know, I've read the book. Like, it's this big, thick book that's out of print now. And these kids were, most of them, hyper-gender dysphoric. And he just saw them again every year, once a year. And, uh, and more than half of them turned out gay. Okay. Uh, most of the rest he, he lost touch with. One, one out of 50-something was trans. Uh, so, yeah, so being being a proto-trans kid is, is actually being a proto-gay kid. Okay, so. yeah. So having done all this research and um, finding what you found, do you think that it's possible for us to have a clear understanding of gender related to sex and then you know, categorically divide men and women and then kind of understand or to build or rebuild the project of understanding behaviors um, that are male and then, uh, you know, conceiving of what it is to be female and male is do do we rebuild I mean, that those up? Words, no, we, we, the words male and female are not human words. They're words for all of creation, you know, okay. I okay. say all of creation. I'm not, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even religious, but I, you know, everything, everything that lives that reproduces sexually, male and female mean something. And they mean the same thing for all those animals. We can't just redefine it for humans. It's the same meaning when you're talking about a tree, when you're talking about a fish, you know, even the famous clownfish that change sex. You have to know what sex is to know they've changed sex. Okay. So it really is just a biological term. And then, yes, you could have several meanings of gender that are layered on that, which would be something like, you know, in a sensible definition, something like, you know, the cluster of behaviors that are a bit more typical of one group than of the other group um very overlapping for humans not very overlapping for say lions or for um, black widow spiders you know i mean their gendered behaviors are just extremely different like for yeah. black widow spiders it's you know eat your mate is what the, the female does so that would be the gender behavior that's proper to black widow spiders if you like yeah. um ours aren't so different but they're a bit different but going back from those to call things male and female just make zero sense 
and they're so overlapping. And, you know, it is just okay. a fact as well that people who are gay are very are on average very gender nonconforming. Not all of them, but much more gender nonconforming than people who are straight. So are you saying that they're not really of their sex? Most gay men and lesbian women don't really like that idea at all. So, you know, you're saying of a man who's notably effeminate and, you know, cares about a bunch of things that women care about normally more than men. You're saying, you know, well, he's he's his gender. He, I mean, his gender isn't very masculine, I suppose, but he's still a man. OK, so I, I don't think I don't think it's a good idea to go back from gender to sex at all. I think, you know, sex is your bedrock. Okay. I'm I'm just asking is there because you have all this uh, programming going into schools talking about gender and you know yep. using the gender unicorn and we know that I mean you can, we can argue against that but is there a positive way of uh, teaching or molding cultural norms of behavior uh, that that are proper to men but also lenient and tolerant for those who don't uh, follow uh, I just line don't up think you ha- I mean, for a start they don't do that at all with the gender unicorn and the gender bread man and all that what they do with those is they tell children that sex isn't real and gender is yeah and and then they also tell them that gender is two things. That are, there's gender expression and there's gender identity. And they spend ages on gender expression because that's actually quite concrete. So that's when you say, you know, I don't know if you've seen the ridiculous mermaid's gender spectrum that runs from, literally, this is no joke, it runs from a picture of Barbie to the picture of G.I. Joe. And you're yep. meant to say where you are on it. So that's that's gender expression. And then they say there's a separate thing, gender identity. So like in the genderbred person, your gender identity is in your brain and your gender expression is all over. And they never really tell you how you're meant to know this one, the gender identity, because ooh, 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 it's not your gender expression. But what is it then? Okay. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's just ineffable, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say that any teacher who tries to use this ends up strongly suggesting to the kids that your gender expression is how you know your gender identity. So that's, that is saying to kids, you know, uh, if you are you know, a messy character who likes playing in mud and likes tractors and climbing trees and things. Point. Your gender identity, not just your gender expression, your gender identity is masculine. You must be a boy. So I actually think it makes kids, because most kids aren't alienated from their own bodies. Most kids are totally fine with being what they are. So I think it probably makes them more rigid. They're afraid that if they do things that are gender expression is appropriate to the other sex that they that they are then casting doubt on who they okay. are and they don't want doubt cast on who they yeah. are okay. i mean what you want to do is you want to say well okay there are these things you know yes on average that's the way it is but you do you okay you yeah. do you you know but but they never do i just are there it seems like we're, we're trying to figure out a way to be a post-gendered society in a certain respect where we don't expect men to behave a certain way. We don't expect women to behave in a certain way, but there are still, um, largely speaking, like, let's say the chivalric code, while it does force men and women into categories, it still articulates on a social level within, let's just say, uh, the courts of you know medieval Europe. It it standardizes behavior and it provides a certain stable uh, framework for you know the the uh, how the sexes treat each other and how the sexes treat um, themselves in a way. Do, yeah. Can we have a society that doesn't have any expectations? Um, I, I don't... Yeah, I, I, I do see what you mean, and I don't think we can. Not a good society, because I do think that bodies make um, requirements of us. I mean, they make more requirements of children and women than they do of men, but they make, you know, they, they are, you know, our bodies are something that 
shapes our social reality. Yeah. And that's why I think it's bad for a man to hit a woman. You know, like yeah. this is this is not okay. There's a reason we tell we say men don't hit women. It's because men are bigger and stronger and you can give you know, you can give a woman a wallop that she can't she can't defend herself, she can't get away. You know, even if she hits you first, it's a bad thing to do because you probably are just much bigger and stronger than her. And yes, I know that women pick up saucepans and hit their husbands and that's a very bad thing to do. I'm not trying to excuse female domestic violence. I'm just saying there's an example of a rule that I think is a sensible rule and you know it's it's something you'd want to teach your sons you know it's it's not right to hit a woman a man shouldn't hit a woman and then things that you should teach people about children like you know a real a good man a good man is somebody who looks out for children to me yeah and you know that's what you'd want to teach you'd want to teach your sons you know that it's it's for you you know your body is less of a burden you're not you're never going to be pregnant you know you're not the one who's carrying the charge you're not breastfeeding whatever it's you know it's for you to be strong Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not saying no one else can be strong. Just that, you know. Yeah. I do think I do think men should get up for pregnant women on the bus. Uh, they never did when I was pregnant either time when I was commuting. It was women who gave me seats every damn time. Huh. Uh, it, literally two full pregnancies commuting, and uh, and no man huh. gave me a seat in the entire time. Okay. God, I was enormous. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was no possibility of thinking I wasn't pregnant, really. Yeah, so, you know, those sorts of things I look and I think, gosh, you were badly educated, weren't you? So that's, the, that, that's an example I can give you. I do, I do think there is there's something to telling slightly different things to boys and girls. I think it's like kind of marginal compared with what it is to be a good person. Yeah, okay. I think that, you know, it's hugely overlapping for both sexes, but I don't think it's entirely overlapping. But if if we build a positive um, conception of what it is to be a woman, and especially to communicate to men, um, we, we do need to communicate to men that women are vulnerable, especially with regards to pregnancy. And there's a tremendous amount of uh, physical labor that goes into that, just like gestating uh, another human being. And if we promote among men a respect towards that, then it will increase the likelihood that that women will produce more offspring and our race will continue. So there's good reason to promote that. And that, in order to communicate that, you would have to communicate the idea of what it is to be a woman. Do you think that we should just limit that to biology and not um i mean i i think limit limiting to to biology suggests that's not very much i mean that's actually quite a lot we are our bodies and our bodies color everything and shape everything about us I, i think a lot of women don't want this to happen because our bodies are so exigent you know they are so demanding of us and it's not something in a modern workplace that you necessarily want you know, we're all cogs in a machine. Like, even if you're a very nice employer, you don't necessarily want to be this animal creature who bleeds once a month and, you know, oh. carries a baby for nine months and breastfeeds and, you know, feels your breasts leak if, you know, the child, when you've, when you've just finished breastfeeding and, you know, then menopause is just a nightmare too. And, you know, do you, do you want that said to all your colleagues? Do you want everybody? I mean, ideally, in a way, yes, because it's all true. But... You know, the world has been built for men who aren't people who are like that. Women, if they want to take their place in the modern society, have felt that they can't demonstrate all those things. They've got to be as good as a man or, you know, they've got to fit into a man's world or any of those things. Like, Like, imagine you want to be something like an engineer. Like, do you think it's very helpful for you to say, you know, and I want to make sure that, you know, you take my menstrual cycle into account and, you know, remember that I'll be menopausal when I'm 50 and possibly for several years really quite up and down. You don't. You, mm. you kind of want them to not think about any of those things. You don't want to think of them as them to think of you as animal. I mean, you are animal and so are the men. Yeah. But 
you know, the world has been built on a vision of men as not animal and women have to fit into that. I don't think any of that's good, by the way. Okay. I just don't see that telling people about women's animality is a very helpful project to women in this world that we've built where we pretend that none of us are animals. Okay. So how have you navigated that being a, a professional woman? Like, it, w- There's extra work for you that you have to suppress. And um, does that not come with some sort of resentment about that? And how do you deal with that in a positive, healthy way? Goodness. Um, I think I've been reasonably lucky at work. You know, quite flexible work. And my husband does all the childcare as well, which is unusual. So oh, cool. that is, yeah, uh, always has. Um, don't know how we would have done it otherwise, really. Um, do you know, I can't point at anything major and say uh, that was because of or you know, this made that harder or whatever. I mean, commuting when pregnant, that was no fun. But I don't know what you to do about that, you know. Hmm. These babies, they take they take a lot of making, you know. <laughs> this is not this is not an easy business. And um hmm. You know, here we are in a capitalist society. Who's going to, you know, how, what are you going to do? How are you going to work around this? It's not easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose decent maternity pay and all of the rest, that's all important too. Yeah, yeah. Well, just from the perspective of uh, giving advice to young women who are, you know, like wanting to be a professional person, like, you know, entering in the world of, you know, that as you say, denies the animality of men, but the animality of female imposes upon her, like, regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you, what, what's some advice that you give for, for women? Um, Wanting to be professional. I think a lot. I think Following a lot of a lot of younger professional women um, think it's all finished. You know, they think because you know, in your twenties, like unless you have children young, in your twenties, you can think that none of this is the case. You can think it's all you know, it's all over. We are just post. We're post or post gender society. And then you know, if you if you do have a child, suddenly everything changes, and you realise that it's none of it even started, and you're now going to have to deal with this, and it's going to be with you, with you for the rest of your life as a couple or on your own and that's why women get radicalized in their 30s because they or the people they know you know get faced with a reality like a really concrete reality that they didn't realize was coming but you see you can't tell anyone anything nobody knows these things until it's happened to them like i don't know if anyone had said to me when i was 21 you know look it's it's not easy um you know, just accept that the world isn't fixed yet and, you know, work towards fixing these things for women. But, you know, you think you think that you're on a level with men and you are. You're on a level with men until the child comes along or until the okay. age when everybody thinks that you may be looking for a child. And then everything is different for both of you and it will be forevermore. Oh, wow. OK. And how did you how do you think that is the proper way to uh, deal with that? You say women become radicalized. Is there, you know, yeah. ways of being I mean, radical women- that are healthier that well, you promote well a lot of the a lot of the women a lot of the women who were um you know very concerned about gender ideology this is how they became radicalized you know i mean i never was particularly but i'm a bit older than you know i was too i was too old as women in their 20s now really are the completely mad gender warriors like mm. they're the group who are behind who are for all of this you know and i think that's so interesting you know there you are young woman you're interested in this ideology that you can be whoever you want to be that identity is all that matter that you know physiology doesn't matter you're the people who are saying males should be in women's sports you know extraordinarily women are for this to some extent and and then i think well you know what women's bodies are hard work and they are weaker and that's not a very pleasant fact it's just true wouldn't it be quite fun to pretend none of that was true if you could get away with it 
And then along comes the, you know, irreducible reality. No male person has ever got pregnant, ever, ever, ever. Not all female people get pregnant, but, you know, along comes that either for you or your friends. Or you wanted it to come along for you and it didn't. Or you spent your you know, your life trying to stop it from happening. You know, you're the one who has to have abortions. You're the one who has to think very carefully mm. about contraception. And it's just this bedrock reality that you can't identify out of. And so in that sense, it radicalizes you and you start to think about bodies and you start to think, well, what would make a just and fair society? Like, could we design for people who have babies with them? Can we think mm. about decent time away from work? Can we not have career progressions that mean that everything happens in your 30s? Mm. Um, I mean, that's what happens in academia. Like, if you don't make... If you don't make tenure in your 30s, you probably won't. And that's exactly when women are thinking of having babies. Okay, yeah. So there are things, you know, you start to think about then and you think, but I'm not the first person to have thought this. They've been thinking this for really decades and it hasn't happened. Mm. Well, it, it, that is a very difficult problem because uh, in a competitive environment every edge counts and so yes. what do you do do you create two academies where men have a different tenure track than females do or i, I don't have an answer for you but i know that some places have tried giving um quite a lot of maternity time uh, and and stopping the clock Okay. you know on yeah and then if you do this you kind of feel you have to be gender neutral about it and allow it for the men as well because the man might say well we've just had a kid and i'm going to be the one who takes time off and then they yeah. found out that what happens is the men use the time for research so it gives the man a, a leg up with his work and the woman yeah. looks after the baby and you've actually made it worse you know hmm. so i don't i don't have good answers for this because we are cogs in a machine you know in this society but then there's this twin track which is the animal business of reproducing yeah. the, the, the species, you know, which is not done for money, mostly at least. And it's not done in this, you know, paid for your job, paid for the work you do type way, you know. Yeah. And the two don't run very smoothly together. And it's at women that you see the the joins, really. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, where are you angling, uh, where are you coming down with the gender ideology? What is kind of your argument? Um, it seems like you're logically breaking it down and you're telling the story and why you don't fix. What is the replacement for that? Are you are you content with just making an argument or, and exposing it for what it is? I mean, mostly that's what the book is about. And I don't, I, I mean, I think it's made up of whole cloth. I don't think it's in any way necessarily attached to anything that's real. I think you could throw the whole thing out and you'd have influenced nothing except quite a lot of people's wasted cognition. Like, it's like a new religion in that sense. You know, this idea that we all have a sexed soul, I mean, to exaggerate it slightly, you could just stop thinking that and nothing would change except that it could, you'd get rid of a lot of bullshit. Um, but then again, you know, there are, there are people who need accommodating. I mean, these very rare people who really feel really desperately uncomfortable unless you allow them to fit into society, whatever it means to say, as a woman or as a man. And so I think you can think about that as a, a smaller set of discrete, like, problems. And, and I mean, we basically have largely solved those, you know. If you're talking about a very small number of people who've been through a lot and have had a lot of medical support and whatever, well, you know, you do them one at a time, basically. It's not such a big deal. Hmm. I will say I don't know how many of those people there are because one of the things I've been researching that I thought was most interesting was the history of psychic contagions. Hmm. So um, when people, what we feel mentally and emotionally is not a given. It's quite shaped by the society that we live in. And in particular, the ways that people feel disease or unwellness are shaped by the society we live in. Hmm. So we've, you know, if you go back two centuries, like to when, like over the time that medicine has had a very big influence 
in the way that we like live in, we, we shape our societies. The ideas that doctors have about how the mind and body work together shape the way that people express their distress. So you have these um, historical episodes like um, you know hysteria and Charcot's asylum in Paris, or you have um, shell shock. You know those things. They're culturally bound syndromes or culture bound syndromes. Well, we're we're living through one of them now. They're hard to see when you're living through it yourself. But actually, we're we're creating and shaping dis-ease, especially in teenage girls. Yeah. So yeah. one of the one of the ways that you can see that something's a psychic contagion, or at least have a good idea that it is, it's not just that it comes pretty much out of nowhere. It's that it hits teenage girls and young women, because they're always the most vulnerable to psychic contagion. We don't quite know why, but they are. Uh, so in the 1990s, they were the people who had multiple personalities and repressed, uh, recovered memories. And that came from, you know, that was super rare. Like there were, you know, 50 cases ever heard of in the whole medical literature. And then suddenly tens of thousands of them in America yeah. alone in just a few years. And we're, we're doing it again. We're absolutely doing it again. Uh, so I've interviewed quite a lot of kids now um, who have transitioned. And, you know, they talk themselves into it. They would have talked themselves into something else like self-harming or anorexia or, you know, um, depression or... Um, you know, anxiety related things. Yeah. Yeah. So all of these things, they chose this way to express their distress because that's the one that's out there. And it's the one that people are teaching them in schools and they're and teaching them to. Yeah. There's a lot of attention. Teaching them to ruminate. Yeah. 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 A lot of attention. Yes, exactly. So there's a feedback, you know, when you say that you're trans, you're special. And, you know, it, it mixes quite toxically with uh, with Tumblr and these yeah. sites where, you know, you're nobody if you're straight white cis. But, you know, you get yourself a, a you know, a trans identity, which is the only one you can identify into. You can't identify into being black. That's absolutely not allowed. And, you, you know, so you can't identify so far. Well, I mean, the whole of critical race theory and the whole, you know, white fragility thing, you can't identify out of being white because then you could stop doing this anti-racism work and, you, could, you know, you wouldn't have to be doing it all the damn time, which is the the essential nature of white fragility. Which so is another rumination. It's another uh, social contagion, but it's actually being implemented by HR. It's, it's institutionalized. Yeah, and it's, and it's theorized quite differently. It was James Lindsay who told me this. I asked him why you couldn't identify into being black, but you could identify into being a woman. And he said they're theorized on two different tra tracks. So over here, race has been incredibly concretized and you mustn't let white people identify out of it because the work of white people is never done. It is constant self-examination about your racism and anything else makes you a bad person. So you can't identify out of it because then you could identify out of your anti-racism work. Mm -hmm. But over here, you've got queer theory, which is all about breaking down definitions and boundaries and binaries and transgression being in itself good. And so it's actually an, a, good, an, a good act, a virtuous act to identify into being a woman. Mm. So, yeah, they, this does this makes no sense because you should be allowed to do one or the, you know, the same on both sides, but they're theorized yeah. by different people in different ways and they, they don't meet. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so you can't identify into a different race because that's that's literally saying I do not have to do anti-racism work. So what's left for you is to choose a trans identity and then you can choose one of these ridiculous ones like, you know, agender or non-binary or something. And it doesn't actually yeah. make you have to do anything. You've just got some cred. Yeah, yeah. So in your studies of social contagions or like peaks, hysterias, uh, crises of this sort, how do they end? Do they just kind of lose steam? And what are the conditions of them running? Yeah, I mean, they never go back to where they were, because once you've put something into the collective psyche, it's there as an alternative now. So we still see people with multiple personality syndrome 
they don't, okay. you know, they are still, yeah, they are still diagnosed at a rate considerably higher than before any of this happened. So I'm okay. afraid we have now created the idea that future. certain sorts of distress are gender dysphoria and that means you're a member of the opposite sex that will not go back to where it was and okay. um, with the um, with the multiple personality disorder and recovered memory syndrome they ended because of lawsuits uh, there were particular clinicians who were clearly creating these uh, the, the, this syndrome basically by hypnosis and um, some of them, they made people very unwell. And those people claimed just outrageous things that, against, say, you know, their own father or something like that. Like their father had raped them, blah, blah, blah. And some of them, it was provable that it was all completely false. You know, they said it had happened here at a particular time when actually the father was off in Alaska or something. Yeah. And so some cases fell apart. Uh, some people brought very big lawsuits in states where you can uh, have unlimited damages. And then the health insurance companies stopped reimbursing that treatment. And hey, presto, you didn't have it. Okay. So that's what's going to happen anymore. with this one. It's going to have the, the best thing that we can hope for is that the um, the companies, the, the health insurance companies stop just funding all this stuff. Um, yeah. But you'll still get it. You'll still get more than there used to yeah. be. And you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Do you think that, let's say, Planned Parenthood is still going to be passing out testosterone? Is that still going to be like a, just a market that you can... I can't see consent. how because it's so it's so unhealthy. You can't just you can't just sidestep all liability for everything by getting people to sign things, and you're doing it with minors as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I know that there are lawyers who are actively looking to take cases and win really a bomb, like people did with the recovered memory syndrome. Oh. But it has to be the right case, and it has to be in the right state. Everything has to line up and then you'll get millions and that lawyer will make a lot of money. And then the whole of America's crazy health insurance system will go, do you know what? Why? Why are we refunding people for a test, handing out testosterone to 17 year olds? Completely mad. Hmm. I mean, there's a bit of fashion about these things as well. Like there are fashionable diagnoses, so they kind of will go down a bit. I mean, actually, the um, the people's uh, getting referred to the Tavistock here in Britain, it's leveling off. Now, it's loads higher than it used to be, and they don't see everybody because there's just loads and loads and loads of eye identifiers that's not seen by doctors. Yeah. But, you know, it's not going to go on exponentially forever. It's not cool anymore, you know? Hmm. And how is how are things shaping out in Britain? There was some kind of tremors of mermaids going away or people disassociating, but it seemed like Uh, a nothing burger. No, it's a nothing burger. Okay. So are, are... are, is the society changing a little bit in Britain with regards to this stuff? I think J.K. Rowling made a big difference. Okay. A lot of people, it was their first introduction to this whole thing. Like People thought, God, J.K. Rowling's a bigot. That's really sad. I love her. And then maybe they you know, saw it enough times they went and looked what she said and went like, but I completely agree with everything she said and I literally can't find the bit where she's saying the bigotry. So there was a lot of that, a lot of that. Um and the, the the Tory government doesn't seem to be at all interested in any particular forms of, you know, you know, here we are in a pandemic, they're messing up school grades, and they've got a million things going on. What? We're going to actually have a big fight about forcing men into women's bathrooms, you know? Let's not. But they kind of wanted to go away, and women aren't willing to let it go away, mm. because we actually need the, the laws enforced. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I think it'll take a long while still. In Scotland, they're going hell for leather for it, for reasons unclear to me. I mean, they've just decided that this is the latest, uh, you know, way to signal your wokery, really. Yeah, yeah. 
Are there, um, do you have any, uh, perspective on, on that, which is the woke that do you think that that's another social contagion? Do you think that that is going to keep on, uh, kind of cresting or do you think that there's going to be a shifting landscape around? That? I think there's going to be a huge swing back. Don't you? I mean, it's gone. It's so authoritarian and so divorced from what people actually think and want. You know, I mean, I, I think I saw one just today or yesterday somebody saying you know let's promote sex work and defund cop work i think it was and you look at it and you think this is just like so the opposite to what most people would think so why why are you doing this like, this is not how you get elected in a democracy to go from oh, that was an elected f- official or that somebody was some, some, it was, that was some, someone some democrat person i don't think it was actually <laughs> someone who was standing but you know it's okay. very bad for anyone who's being who's got, trying to get elected in a democracy to go for completely crazy totally unpopular theories like that but that's that's the logic of it that's the purity spiral ratchet effect thing you know you go more and more pure like i love watching people being cancelled who were cancelling people yesterday you know like it's just such fun you know they (laughs) they make a trip up and then they're the ones who get attacked so it eats itself it gets to the point that even people who are like yeah you know okay trans women are women i don't know why but fine that's what i'm meant to say now uh those people are like you know but hang on (laughs) really this six foot eight person is meant to be, you know, beating the shit out of these women in this game. No, that can't be right. You know, so, and then, and then we unfortunately will have a big swing back mm. and I don't oh. want a big swing back, but we will. Okay. So how do we afford a tolerant, um, uh, swing back or tolerant pu- pushback? How, when you've got you mad precipitate- people promoting okay. mad things. I mean, it's not me that's making there be a big swing back. It's people who are promoting insanity. Okay. Like, I wish they wouldn't. I mean, I've got people I care about who are not, you know, um, gender conforming, whatever. You know, I'm not blooming very gender conforming myself. But, you know, Mm. everybody's going to get caught up on this. It's like these wretched people who are trying to get, you know, furries into gay parades. It's like, oh, come on. Do we have to have the pups and the the furries and the other kin and so on? Just making all gay people look like complete perverts, which is exactly what we were trying not to do. Mm. You know, Mm. it's completely Mm. mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I mean, this is this is the the pendulum swing is going to come. Okay. Do you think that we can be in a tolerant society without these pendulum swings? Then, because it, it seems like people will. This this has been a particularly weird experience to live through. I think the whole gender thing because it is so weird. Like it's just so weird. It's so religious, so culty, so unattached to anything real. You know. Mm we didn't have to do any of this you know it, it might not have started you could imagine in a different a different world just you know some random little thing could have been different and we might just never have started this particular bit of insanity and it is so insane i think it's the thing that's making pendulum swing a long way and then swing back but then you know race in america has gone completely crazy too so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't maybe, maybe america is crazy benjamin maybe that's the problem and, and, maybe it's uh, you guys maybe it's your politics maybe it's the way that you run your politics just produces craziness because huh. well, these are both yours by the way these are both really very much yours well yeah but you guys are you know kind of following along yeah we're following yeah, yeah but i don't know okay. that we would have thought of it ourselves i don't think we're a, fact- <laughs> a factory for such a level of madness you know like american politics is a really crazy thing yeah yeah and yeah very profoundly affects everybody else's politics yes that's right so that's the that's the thesis of the book crazy like us by ethan waters which is that america's idea of how the the psyche works is being exported like you know your cultural dominance means everybody else goes mad like you 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the way that anorexia is in America is now the way anorexia is everywhere. And then that's true of gender identity, too. You guys invented this stuff and it's everywhere. What do you think it is about us? Like just a mixture of puritanism and uh, entrepreneurialism? Do you have like I a think diagnosis? I think, I think it's your broken politics, isn't it? Your broken politics, just it's, it's like a, a machine for polarization. Like okay. everything that's done just makes the other worse. You know, so I don't know how you ever come back to the center in America, having gone down the route that you have. Everything is crazy. Oh, okay. Huh. I think okay. All right. I hadn't made that connection until you asked, but I mean, it's clear you're exporting these things. Okay. Thanks and you think it's a, <laughs> you think it's our <laughs> polarization then. But isn't that the purity spiral logic that you, you know, you you have to signal more and more virtue to get away from the people you hate and, and to be really hating and despising okay. the people on the other side and, you know, yeah, and you can't criticise the people on your own side. I mean, the way your attitude to abortion, your attitude to guns, these are not normal. Other countries do not have these things. Hmm. And, hmm. you know, other countries are able to come to some sort of sensible arrangement whereby some people have guns, but most people don't, for example. <laughs> some people have abortions, but most people don't. Yeah, well, yeah, or, you know, you say it's legal up to 12 weeks or 18 weeks, and, you know, we're not going to shout at you, but we're going to try and make sure that people don't need them. You know, okay. you yeah. have some okay. sort of... Settlement. So it, it, it's our uh, kind of our, our theater then. It's our theatrical uh, way of framing think, things. I often think it's the actual political system causes these things. I haven't thought it through for America, but okay. when I lived in Brazil, yeah. you know, it was clear that Brazil got the government that it deserved for its uniquely terrible political system. Okay. You know, so so the way that you elect, the way that money plays such a big part, the you know, um, the fact that you have you basically have to be a rich, corrupt person to get elected and america and you know i mean how can you ever have enough money in america to get elected without hmm. having got yourself in hock to a lot of people yeah so i often think it is that sort of thing that hmm. makes people have a political system the way it is is the actual electoral system hmm. haven't thought it through for you guys though okay yeah that's a that's a big you can question do that. we don't i, yeah, I I'll leave yeah. that one for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I could oh, do what mathematicians wonderful. do and say, uh, you know, um, uh, and with a little hand waving, <laughs> we get the answer. You know, Here's I leave that as an exercise for the class. <laughs> Wonderbar. Um, so your book's going to hopefully come out early next year? Uh, first half of next year. I okay. mean, books take a while. They usually take a year from when you submit them. So, you know, my okay. publisher's going to try really to hurry. Okay, uh, yeah. So if I get it to them by November, I hope it might come out middle of next year. Yeah. That's what they hope as well. But that all depends on my editor actually liking it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's still up in the air. Do you have a provisional title? Mm, yes, I do. Okay. Trans, How Gender Identity Conquered the World. And Is what that means for... Trans. Just trans, how gender identity conquered the world, and what that means for women, children, and young people. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Women. Women. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Benjamin Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at Benjamin A. Boyce. Have a good night.